Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. I want to start off today asking you a question. When you were a little kid, did you believe in monsters? And were any of you ever at one point afraid of the monsters? And at one point, did you ever find yourselves going to bed thinking there's monsters in the closet or under the bed, and you were afraid of what you would do next? We've all been there, right? We've, we've all had that. And our little kid imaginations, believing that monster's in the closet or the monster is under our bed, what do we do to protect ourselves from the monster? We pull out the almighty sheet and pull it over our heads, right? And that sheet will save us and protect us from that monster. Well, the reality is we believed in monsters as kids, but when we grow up, the monsters in our lives don't necessarily go away. They're still with us. They're just different monsters that we deal with. Now, the biggest monster or one of the biggest monsters that wreaks havoc in your life and my life is not the imaginary one that we hide under the covers from. It's real. And that monster is we are calling the money monster. The money monster. The money monster is something that dominates and controls our lives. The money monster, it wreaks havoc in our lives. It wrecks our lives. It wrecks relationships and jobs and companies and teams. It even wrecks civilizations. Money is the big, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, monster in our adults, adult lives. And rather than you and I hide under the covers, or rather than you and I pretend that it doesn't exist, we can master the money monster in our lives. And we can get to the place where, where it doesn't have the control that it has in our lives when it's a monster in our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about in this short series. In this series, you and I are going to look together, discover together some habits that are going to tame the money monster in our life, and they're going to make us financially fit. Now, anytime you do a series like this, it's, it's helpful to kind of kick the series off giving a few qualifiers. I don't typically do qualifiers, but this is one of those topics it's worth doing. Now, first of all, the first qualifier is this. For those of you who are thinking, here we go again. Didn't we just talk about this last year? The answer is yes, we did. We did. In fact, we talk about this every single year about this time. Listen, we talk about what it looks like to be uh, good stewards of our finances. We do it every year about this time. The rest of the year, we talk about being good stewards of our time and our talent. God wants us to not only be good stewards of our time and our talent, but also our treasure. So it's good for us to pause and say, God, what does it look like to be a good steward of our money so it's not a monster in our lives? Second qualifier, if you're visiting today, man, first of all, we're glad you're here. But we recognize that money might be, and the topic of money might be one of the big reasons you've stayed away from church. And, and maybe you've stayed away from God. Because you're already skeptical that, you know, the church, all they want in your, is your money, and now today just confirm that suspicion. And now listen, I get it, and I totally understand it. So, if you're visiting with us today, I want to invite you to sit back, relax, and just observe today. I just want you to relax. 
And, and imagine yourself as a fly on a wall in your neighbor's house when they're having a, 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 a kind of a deep discussion and a family discussion. You, what would that be like? Imagine if you could listen in on your neighbor's you know, heavy conversation. That's what it is for you today. You just sit back, relax, and observe and listen in on this family conversation as we talk about this topic. And if you're visiting, if you decide, if you choose to say, hey, there's a principle or two in there that makes sense, I'd encourage you to grab a hold of that because I think it'll help your future, including your financial future. Now, I know every time we talk about this, we're always wondering why. Why do we talk about it? What's the point? As is always the case, whenever we talk about financial stewardship, my goal is not to get something from you. My goal is to give something to you. The goal is to give you a tip. The goal is to give you a, 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 a principle, a, a biblical, some biblical wisdom that's going to help you master the money monster in your lives. Because the reality is, I'm just not concerned about your money. And frankly, either is God but I do care about you. I care about you, and I want you to succeed in the realm of your finances. I want you to be financially free. I want you to be financially fit. I want you to know what it's like to experience financial freedom and to experience a deeper faith and trust in God. And so everything we talk about is with this goal of helping you be financially free and to grow and stretch your faith and trust in God. So tackling the money monster, mastering the money monster, developing a habit that leads to financial freedom. Where do we start? Well, we have to, of course, start with a question that sometimes we wonder is, why does the Bible talk about money? Why does God talk about money? What's interesting is when the Bible when God, when Jesus, when the apostles, when any of them talk about money, it actually has nothing to do with money and has everything to do with devotion. Everybody say the word devotion. It has to do with our devotion. Because what God knows about all of us is that God's chief competition for your heart and for my heart, for our devotion, for our loyalty, for our fellowship, for our service, God's chief competition is not the devil. See, you don't sit around saying, hmm, today, should I worship God or should I worship the devil? That's not what you're doing. That may be a reality, but the real struggle that we feel that we have is where do I put my confidence? Where do I put my trust? Where do I put my hope? What am I dependent on? Do I put my dependence on God? Do I trust in God? Or do I place my hope and my trust in my finances or my financial stability or whatever it is that money represents to me? And frankly, the hardest part about this whole conversation is that most people do not see or think that the idea of surrendering to God and being dependent upon God has anything to do with their relationship or their connection to their finances. Most people don't see that. And I get it. I understand it. I really do. So the hardest part about this conversation that, frankly, God's been trying to have for some of us for years and years and years, it's, trying to, it's me trying to help you to connect the dots, to see the correlation. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6. He said, your heart, some translations say, your devotion, your loyalty, 
will always be where your treasure is. You see, it's not about money. It's about devotion. Everybody say devotion. devotion. It's about devotion. And God knows the chief competitor for our devotion, for our heart, for our loyalty is our treasure, is our money. Or more specifically, the trust and the devotion that we place in that money rather than in God. So the question is, where do I put my dependence? Where do I put my trust? Do I put my hope, dependence, trust, and loyalty in God? Or do I put my hope, dependence, trust, security, if you will, in my stuff, in my money, or whatever money represents to me? Does God truly have my heart? Does God truly have my loyalty, my devotion? And my hope and my prayer is that is a prayer and a question you will be asking throughout this series. That you will just be saying, God, uh, God, show me, help me see, am I devoted to you? Am I trusting you? Is my loyalty towards you? Or is it in something else? In fact, here's how Jesus addresses this. And I want us to notice there's a tension in this verse. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he says this, you cannot be the slave of two masters. You will like one more than the other, or be loyal to one more than the other. So Jesus is giving you and I a principle here. It's a principle of masters. He says, you're going to have one, you can't have two. You're going to be more loyal to one than to the other. And he tells us what the one or the other is that we're going to be loyal to. He says this, verse 24, you cannot serve both God and what? God and money. Jesus is brilliant here. And he recognizes the tension inside of us when it comes to who's going to be the master of our life. Who's going to have our loyalty? Who's going to get our devotion? Everybody say devotion. Who's going to get our devotion? And we're just going to tend to place our trust, Jesus says, in one of two places. You're going to be a servant of one of two options. You're going to be loyal to one of two options. And Jesus says, it's either, you know, money-related, which whatever that looks like, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of security, the pursuit of whatever money would represent to us personally, or are we going to place our trust, our loyalty, our devotion in God? Jesus says those are our two options. I think about what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he said that the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy And I believe that the weapon of choice that the devil uses to destroy you and I is money. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. When we get wrapped up in it, when we are consumed by it, when we love it, so to speak, and I know none of us would ever say we love it, but when we're wrapped up in it, that's the root of any evil that comes our way. You see, the devil is a master manipulator especially when it comes to the topic of our money and our stuff. And he'll use that, money, stuff, all that it represents to us, he'll use it so that we don't place our hope, trust, devotion, and loyalty in God. He'll get us to have a greater love for money and what it represents to us than we do to God. And frankly, that's why the money monster is so difficult to overcome in our lives. Now, on the road to financial freedom, on the road to mastering the money monster and giving God our devotion and our loyalty, 
there are going to be, I want you to picture a road, there are going to be two ditches on either side of the road to financial freedom. Let's picture it this way. Does everybody know Camera Road? Right? We all know Camera Road. Most of us do. Now, I know they cleaned it up now, and it's new, and it's pretty, that's great. But even if you um, especially picture the old one, and it's still true of a lot of the road, but you will notice if you drive down the road that there is a ditch on either side of the road. Again, it used to be more pronounced um, prior to them fixing it, but it's still there on a, on a large part of it. Um, on the north side and on the south side, you'll see a ditch. And when we think about that, that ditch, if you're driving, if you're not focused, if you're not driving properly, if you're not driving correctly, you will end up in a ditch and you won't reach your destination. Well, it's the same with our finances. If you want to master the money monster in your life, if you want to reach the goal of financial freedom and trusting in God and being fully devoted to God, you don't want to end up in a ditch. Now, what are the options? One ditch is the ditch of consumption, and another ditch is the ditch of hoarding. Consuming and hoarding. Consuming and hoarding. Consuming means that everything that comes my way to me financially, that I use it up. All the dollars that come to me, they become items in my house. They become my house. They become a, you know, a car, a phone, a TV, a computer. They become a vacation. We just consume, 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 consume. And this is one of the biggest ways that money, the money monster just takes over our life and wreaks havoc in our life. And it's inevitable that if we just consume, 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 if we end in the consumption ditch, it's inevitable that most people will end up having debt. And by the way, when you think about debt, what is it actually called? It's called consumer debt. How real is the consumption ditch, this money monster? Well, there's lots of statistics and surveys out there that give us an indication that this money monster is real in our lives one survey has found that uh, over 70% of Americans have less than $1,000 in some form of a savings. In other words, if it's time to go have your car get at 60,000, 90,000, 120,000 mile service, whatever the case may be, if it's time to do that and, and you need new tires or they say you need new brakes or your transmission needs this or that, you don't have enough money to cover it. 70% of Americans have less than $1,000 to their name, and 34% of those have no savings at all. A lot of us would say we basically live paycheck to paycheck, but this is living literally, I, if there's any issue that comes up, I don't have anything to draw from to help out. 34%. And only 15% of Americans have at least $10,000 or more in a savings account or tucked away in a safe or wherever they put it. Most statistics tell us that Americans make or spend more than they make. In fact, 75% of Americans are in debt. And 50% of those believe that they, outside of their home, they will always be in debt. Now, I'm not going to ask, but I'd actually be curious. Again, I'm not going to ask. Don't raise your hands. But I would wonder if, how true those statistics are for us here at LifePoint. I would wonder how many of us outside of our home, how many of us have no debt at all? 
Or how many of us, yeah, we have a ton of debt. The money, according to the stats and the surveys and everything we know, the money monster is very real. It's destroying us. We are stuck in the ditch, consuming our way to destruction. In other words, our money plan isn't working. It's not working. So on one side of the, of the, of the road, it's flanked by the ditch of consumption. And by the way, all the statistics, all the surveys, they make it clear it doesn't matter whether you make a little or you make a, wa- a lot. No matter where you are on that list, every category of people is consuming more than they make and spending more than they make. One side, the consumption ditch. The other side of the, of the road, the other ditch, is hoarding. Have you ever been inside of a hoarder's home? Don't point to people, don't do that. I can tell you I've been in, in, in a few hoarders' homes in my life. One in particular I remember, I'll never forget, frankly. I, we were, Heather and I were living in Sacramento for a season of time, and, and we were in this house. And uh, next to us we had a person, an individual who was a hoarder, a smoker, and a cat lover. And uh, this individual had at least a dozen indoor cats and at least a dozen outdoor cats that I can remember. And whenever this individual would go out of town, guess who they wanted to come over and feed their cats? And I can remember, I would go over next door and I would open that door just dreading the moment. And I would open that door and step in and the hoarding, my goodness, the hoarding. The stacks of newspaper, the trash everywhere, the smell of smoke everywhere, the clutter, the junk, the litter boxes. And I can still to this day smell the smell of junk. Does anybody know that junk has a smell? So I could smell the junk. I could smell the, the smoke. I could smell the empty cans of cat food just piling up on the counters. And some of you are thinking, no wonder pastor doesn't like cats. Man, no one likes a hoarder, right? But what is financial hoarding? It's the, financial hoarding is the, well, what about this? And what about that? What if this happens? What if that happens? And you what if and what about yourself into a panic, a paranoia, and a fear, so much so that you just hoard, hoard, hoard. Your fists are closed so tight with what you have. And people around you might label you as a tightwad or a miser or a cheapskate or a penny pitcher or a hoarder. Now, obviously, we want to be financially responsible and we want to save. But hoarding takes it to a whole nother level. Now, here's the interesting thing about consuming and hoarding. The consumer and the hoarder usually find each other and they get married. <laughs> right? Have you, have, you, have you figured that out? And in marriage, you don't call each other a consumer and a hoarder. You're much more polite to each other. You call each other spenders and savers, right? I'm a spender. No, I'm a saver. So you have this tension in the marriage. You have this friction because one of you spends, one of you saves. The money monster, consuming and hoarding. The consumer and the hoarder. The spender and the saver. But they all have something in common. The reality is they're both self-centered. You see, both are living 
by their actions and behaviors as if their hope and their faith and their trust is not in God, but is in reality their hope and their faith is fueled by the same gasoline. And that fuel is greed. Is greed. Now, greed is like we talk about, there's a lot of attributes and characteristics in our life that we have a difficult time seeing in the mirror. Greed's one of those. Uh, we mentioned that last week. In fact, uh, somebody came up to me this morning. They, they, they were in their small group this week, and they said, hey, pastor, we were in our small group, and uh, man, I loved what, what this individual had to say to me. It was awesome. He said, man, we were just gossiping and gossiping. Well, I didn't love the gossip part, but, but they, were, they were just gossiping and gossiping and gossiping, and then finally someone stepped up and said, oh, hold on, time out. Wait a second. Do you not realize we're all just sitting here gossiping right now? And then all of a sudden it got quiet and they recognized and they realized and it changed the direction of that conversation. And I was like, man, that's so incredible. Again, not that you were gossiping, but that you recognized it. And you remember, because again, it's hard to see gossip, that we're a gossip in the mirror. And so this Bible study, this group of godly people, they recognize, oh my goodness. And one of the individuals saw it in the, in the mirror. And as we talked about last week, if not you, then who? Meaning if you don't step up and say something, who will? And that changed the evening for the better. And so it's, it's difficult to see that in the mirror. Greed is another one of those items. It's just difficult for us to see in the mirror. See, people don't come up to me and say, Pastor, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I'm greedy. People don't do that. Instead, they say, man, you know what? I just, man, it's such a good sale. I have to take advantage of it. Man, I love to have the latest and the greatest. Or, or maybe it's just, man, I I'm doing everything I can to make ends meet. I'm doing the best I can. In fact, I even give some to people from time to time. But the reality is it's just consume, consume, consume. Or they say something like, man, you know what? I'm careful. I'm a good planner. I'm a saver. But everybody else around you knows, no, you're just a hoarder. Greed is very difficult to see in the mirror. Now, what is greed? According to everything that Jesus said, I I think the best way to describe greed is this is greed is the assumption that it is all for my consumption. Greed is, I assume, it is all for me to consume. You can be poor and be greedy. You can be rich and be greedy. It doesn't matter where you are on the financial pendulum. Greed is simply, if anything comes to me, it's for me. If anything comes to me, if finances come to me, it's for my consumption. It's for my consumption now, which makes me a consumer, or it's for my consumption later, which makes me a hoarder or a saver. Either way, this individual lives their life as if God is not, does not have their devotion, does not have their heart. God's not factored in to the picture of their finances. And of course, that doesn't mean this person doesn't believe in God. Of course they believe in God, it's, and of course you believe in God. It's why you're here, right? But greed is subtle, not like the rain that's on the, the roof right now. Jeez. Man, that's just pounding. Greed is subtle. And in our greed, we believe in Jesus. Of course we do. But we live like we don't trust him. In other words, we love to go to church, we, we love God, you know, we, we believe in the Bible, we respect the Bible, we, we follow the parts that we like in the Bible, but when it comes to decisions with our money, the question we're usually asking ourselves is, 
where is this decision going to lead, leave me financially? Where's it going to leave me financially? It's rare that we ask the question, what does God say about my money? What does God say I should do with my money? What does God say about how I should manage my money? Those are not the questions we're usually asking. Why? Because greed is so subtle. If consciously or subconsciously, if the evidence of our lives says that our loyalties, our dependence, our reliance is upon our income, that ultimately means we're just fueled by greed. And those of us who are fueled by greed, we live as if God doesn't exist in our finances. We live as if God doesn't have anything to do with our finances until, until there's a problem. Until the money monster wreaks enough havoc in our lives. Because what I know about all greedy people, when we hit a financial bump, when we're upside down financially, suddenly we invite God into our financial uh, equation, and suddenly we, we go to God and we say, God, I need your help. In other words, God's our backup financial plan. We live saying, hey, I'm going to do life my way. I'm going to make my money. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to believe in God. I might even give a few dollars here and there, a few hundred, maybe even a few thousand or something. But God, it's my money. You stay put. I got it taken care of. I need to make the decisions. I need to go after it. My future depends on my ability to save and to spend and consume. But subconsciously, we're just keeping God at arm's length. We push him out to the periphery. But make no mistake, the moment there's trouble, the moment we find ourselves in a place where the money monster is wreaking havoc in our lives, there's something in us that says, well, I think God can help me. I think that God will come along and God, you can help me. God, please help me. I need this. Help me with this. But God doesn't want to help you on your terms. He just doesn't. God doesn't want to be your backup plan. God wants to be your first plan, not the backup. God wants to be the master of using Jesus' words and the ruler of your life. God doesn't want any competitors. Jesus said in Luke 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? We may say that he's Lord of our lives, but our actions are dictating that he's not the master, that he's not the ruler, that he doesn't have our devotion, that he doesn't have our loyalty. What we actually are committed to and what we are devoted to is our stuff, our money, rather than God. We veer off into that ditch far too often. God will not be our backup plan. He just won't. He wants to be the master, the ruler of your life, which means... It's time for us to say, okay, what do I need to do in my life to break the power of greed in my life? What do I need to do to stay out of the ditch? How do I let go of the assumption that it's all for my consumption? Now I consume or later I save. What do I do? How do I master the money monster and break the power of greed in my life so that my dependence and my loyalty is upon God? How do I get there? Well, it's simple. Well, the solution's simple. Actually, carrying it out isn't so simple. But it's a habit. It's a habit that we develop. Mastering the money monster is a habit that we develop utilizing three buckets. And we have a few buckets over here, and I'll, I'll tell you about these. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine 
Let's go back to the road analogy or metaphor. When a teenager learns to drive, there's lots of components that, that are important for them to understand in driving. But there's three, I mean, at least for this illustration, there are three crucial parts that they must eventually master as a new driver, right? They have to master the gas pedal, the brake, and the steering wheel. If they fail to use the wrong one at the wrong time, or, or if they fail to, to get it wrong, they will end up in the ditch. All three are needed, the gas pedal, the brake, and the steering wheel. And they have to work in conjunction with one another. There are three key components to your teenager eventually mastering how to drive. So to master the money monster, you and I want to develop the habit of using three buckets for our money or three buckets with our money. Just like the teenager, your teenager had to learn to master the gas pedal and the brake and the steering wheel. So you and I, and to learn to use them correctly and in connection with one another, so you and I must learn to master these three buckets and to use them together and in connection with one another. So what is it? What is putting our money, where is putting our money into these three buckets? What does it look like? Well, the three buckets are labeled this. They are labeled... One is the, is the bucket labeled give. Everybody say give. give. Next bucket is the bucket save. Everybody say save. save. And the final bucket is the bucket that says live. Everybody say live. live. Give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, and live on the rest. And so this is the key to mastering the money monster in our lives. The first step we will take is God says, I want you to give a portion, give a percentage away. Don't keep it for yourself now or later, but give a portion away. Then second, God says, I want you to save a portion of that. Keep a portion for later for yourself. And then third, whatever's left, that is what you live on. That's what you consume. Now, what is usually the case, according to the surveys, 70% of Americans consume, 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 living on more than they even make. Don't even have $1,000 to their name. This isn't even an option for them. They don't even have $1,000 to their name. This is definitely not happening. How are they going to do this? They can barely do this. Give, save, live on the rest. This is the habit that will change everything for you in your future. Give, save, live on the rest. I've talked to enough people, talked to another few after first service, and they all say the same thing. Pastor, I get it. You're right on. It's, it's, it was true of my life. And they talked about how they just live, 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 consume, 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 live on what they made. And someone came along and told them, listen, God has a different way. And God's way is to utilize all three buckets to stay out of the ditch and to master the money monster. And when you, he, these individuals who came up to me and said, when I began to give a portion away, save for myself, I found that I had no problem living on the rest. Now, here's what I can tell you about this. At first, it's a little bit clunky. Let's go back to the teenager, or when you're a teenager, or if you have a teenager. When you're teaching them how to drive, and they first get in that vehicle, does it go smoothly? No. Man, what's happening? They're driving, and next thing you know, all of a sudden, it's like, 
you know, and you're like, man, easy on the brake. Or they're pulling up too quick for the person in front. Whoa, 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 slow down, slow down, slow down. Or how about this one? This is what I found with all my kids when it's time to get on the freeway. As a dad, what do you got? What, what did I used to have to say? Maybe you didn't have to do this. What I had to say is, go, 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 right? They're just, they're just kind of slowly drifting on the freeway. Man, you kind of hit it. Pedal to the metal, go. And it's just rough. And when they're driving around the city, they're gripping that steering wheel tight. And man, it's like when they're driving, like they might think it's like this. How do we feel it? You know, it's just jerking all over the place, right? And it's like, oh my goodness, easy there. And you get out of the vehicle and you look at your rims or your hubcaps and they're just dinged up all over the place. There's not a curb they can't find. It's clunky at first, but eventually, with practice, eventually with sticking to it, they don't just say, well, let me pray about it. They don't say, well, let me think about it. No, they keep going at it, and they keep doing it. And eventually they get better, better, and better, and better, and better to where they master driving. It's the same with this. It's going to be clunky for you at first. And you're going to try, some of you are going to try this, and you've never tried this before. And God's been encouraging you, some of you, for years and years and years. And, and you have never picked a percentage. You've just kind of tossed something here and there to a friend, to a family member, whatever the case may be. But you've never been systematic about it. And, and you haven't been there. And you're going to start, but something's going to happen. And you're going to have an emergency, and then you're like, well, now what do I do? And I get it. It's going to be tough at first. It's going to be clunky. It's going to be hard to, to save the way that we should be saving. It's going to be hard to, to live on less at first. But eventually, eventually, if you stick with it, you can do it. And eventually, you can master the money monster in your life. And you can be financially free so that years from now, you will look back like many of us and say, oh, my goodness, my whole life changed when I tried it God's way rather than my way. And I look today and go, I cannot believe, praise God, how much by God's grace I have given away over the last year, last five years, last decade, last decades. Oh my goodness, I can't believe how much I now have in my possession if there's an emergency or this or that or whatever the case may be. And, and for my future. And wow, that consumption thing, theme thing, it's been tamed a little bit in my life. It doesn't rear its head the same way. I've learned to be a little more content. How is it possible that when you're starting this, you're like, I, can, I can't even do this. That's not even an option. But how is it possible years down the road you go, I'm doing all three and I'm in a better place? How is that possible? Because God honors those who do it his way. God honors those who say, God has your loyalty, your devotion. You're devoted and dedicated to him first and foremost. And you demonstrate that and you show that by doing it God's way as you give a percentage away, you save some for your future, and then you live on the rest. So I just want to invite you to step into this journey. Our way isn't working. It's clear. So how about we try it God's way? Would you be willing to take that step? And for some of us, it's a courageous step. It's a bold step. It's a faith-filled step. For some of us, it's an obedient step. I don't know what it'll look like for you. But God invites you to take that step. And when you do that, God will honor your decision. 
You will stay out of a ditch and you will experience financial freedom in a way you never have before. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.